0: EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a TAD predictable hosted by Tadewa. What's good boys and girls? Welcome to the show on Wednesday, I forgot the day there, Wednesday the 7th of December. We are done with the World Cup round of 16 and there are now two lovely days at World Cup games before the quarterfinals begin. So, let's catch up and we had Netherlands 3, USA 1. The USA were disappointing in that game. They allowed the Netherlands to score early. The defensive play was just really, really disappointing. All three Netherlands goals came from poor defensive work by the USA. Tyler Adams switched off on the first, left Memphis to pie free to pick the ball up on the edge of the area. And then the Blind and Dumfries goals were down to fullbacks not doing the jobs. Uh, I'm not really sure what Serginho Des was doing for the blind goal. And if anyone can explain what Anthony Robinson was doing, hugging somebody while leaving Denzel Dumfries free, I, I'd love to hear it. So the Netherlands marked on, as do Argentina, who they will face next. Argentina beat Australia 2 1, Leo Messi and Julian Alvarez with the goals. The Australians pulled one back. It was credited as an Enzo Fernandez own goal. It was a shot that was going well wide, hit Fernandez, and skewed across the goal and in. Australia gave a good account of themselves, but Argentina deserved to go through on the day. Uh, France 3, Poland 1. This felt like France could have won by 5 or 6. Giroud scored early, Mbappe scored 2. Lewandowski got one back from a very late penalty, but France felt very, very comfortable and they will move on and face England, who beat Senegal. England started poorly, but Jordan Henderson scored on 38 minutes. Harry Kane scored just before half time, And Bakayo Saka made it safe on 57 minutes. So France versus England, that one should be good. Japan, I thought, looked the better team against Croatia, but didn't take their chances. And when it went to penalties, they put forward. The worst set of penalties I've ever seen, or at least I had ever seen at that point. Uh, Japan won, Croatia won, Croatia threw 3-1 on penalties. They will face Brazil who walloped South Korea. Vinicius, Neymar and Richarlison had this game over on half an hour. Paqueta put the cherry on the cake on 36 minutes and Brazil were cruising. Uh, Sung Hyo pulled one back in the second half, but it was never really in doubt. Alisson was called on to make some really big saves in the game, but Brazil were very comfortable. Croatia-Brazil is the quarterfinal that we get. And then Morocco nil, Spain nil, and Spain deciding that the Japanese could hold their beer when it came to bad penalties. Morocco threw 3 nil on penalties. Morocco had the luxury of missing a penalty and still winning. Spain missed through Sarabia, Soler, and Busquets. All poor penalties, it must be said. And Morocco's prize for beating Spain will be Portugal, who walloped the Swiss 6-1 yesterday. The big news was obviously that Cristiano Ronaldo was dropped for the game. João Cancel was also dropped for the game, but that didn't generate nearly as much news because no one cares about Manchester City players. Um, that's a joke by the way that is a joke by the way um, they aren't as balanced with Canseo is the fact of it you you can only really have Canseo or Guerrero Guerrero in the team you can't have both and they made the decision to go with Guerrero and it paid off because he would get one of the goals Delow played well at right back coming in for Canseo and he got an assist and generally played very very well uh, Giancarlo Ramos came into the team for Cristiano and he scored a hat trick on 17 51 and 67 minutes. Pepe had scored the second goal of the game on 33. Guerrero got the fourth of the game on 55 and Leo got the sixth on 92. So Ramos, Pepe, Ramos, Guerrero, Ramos, Leo. Lovely little little way that worked out. Manuel Akanji had pulled one back on 58 minutes, but it was it was never in doubt that Portugal were going to win this game. Ramos was brilliant. I thought Bruno Fernandes and Bernardo Silva played well. William Carvalho, who came into the team for Ruben Neves, was excellent. Joe Felix was sensational. Sensational in the game. And Portugal looked better than they have in quite a long time. So... Long may it continue that Cristiano sits on the bench. I have seen the freaks and weirdos that stand him non-stop already prepare for what they're going to do depending on the outcome of this World Cup. So if Portugal go on and win the World Cup, they will pretend it adds to Cristiano's legacy despite the fact that the biggest factor in them winning it would have been dropping him. And if they go out at any point, they will blame it on the fact that he didn't start. That's what they're planning to do. So just be aware of that. You'll find them on Twitter already scheming quite openly about it. Um, Weird, weird, weird group of people. So, that's the round of 16. It's on to the quarterfinals. Like I say, Croatia, Brazil, Netherlands, Argentina. They play on the ninth. The winners of those games play each other. And then Morocco, Portugal, England, France, they play on the 10th. And again, the winners face each other. So what I thought I'd do now, to fill a bit of time, is everybody's favorite nonsensical gimmick, the combined 11. For Croatia, Brazil, we will start there. Um, Eder Militao is the... Is the best Alison Becker? Is obviously a no brainer in goal, so let's just pencil him in or pen him in. Um, I think Eder Militao is a slightly better right back than Juranovic, he's a much better player, but he is nominally a center back. But he's a better right back than Juranovic. Uh, Marquinhos and Gvardiol will be the central defenders. Left back is tough because I'm of- I'm not overly keen on Borna Barisic. If Borna Sosa was fit, I'd go with him. He's easily the best left back between these two squads. I'm not putting Alex Tellers in. I think he's injured anyway. Alex. What's the other fellow's name? Alex Santro. He's, uh, he's injured too. So Danilo has been playing right back, uh, left back. And he's done pretty well. So I'm going to go with him. Now, I'm not certain on all the injuries, so forgive me if I throw anyone in who's injured or suspended. Um, But Alisson, Militao, Marquinhos, Guardiola, Danilo, I think that's a pretty good defense. If Borna Sosa was fit, it would be him, and I think that would be a really good defense. Like a really good defense. Um, In midfield, it's Casemiro and Modric, isn't it? Or is it Casemiro... And Kovacic. Or is it Casemiro, Modric and Kovacic? I think it's Casemiro, Modric and Kovacic if I'm being honest. So we'll go with a midfield three. In attack, we'll play. It's it's unfortunately for the Croatians, it's an all Brazil attack it's Vinicius Jr it's Neymar and as much as it pains me it's Richarlison so Alisson, Militao Marquinhos Gvardiol Danilo, but Borna Sosa if fit, Casemiro Kovacic, Modric Vinicius, Richarlison, Neymar. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven Brazilians. Eight Brazilians, including Daniil, but I'm going to say seven to four because if, if Borna is fit, and I don't know if he's got a chance to be fit for the game, um, it's him. So seven to four for Brazil, or eight to three if Borna Sosa doesn't make it. Now, moving on to the next game, which is the Netherlands versus Argentina. Um, I like what I've seen from Noppert so far in goal, but Eddie Martinez is the superior goalkeeper. Now we've got a back three versus a back four, so I'm just going to mix and match defenders. Jurian Timber will be the right back. Romero and Van Dijk, obviously the centre-back choices. Left-back. I'm I'm inclined to just go with Nathan Aki, to be totally honest, because I don't think much of Acuna. Tagli Fico doesn't really do it for me. And Daley Blind is... He's uh, To be fair, Daily. It, yeah, we'll just go with Daley Blind, because at least he plays left-back. So we'll go Daley Blind. So of those five, two Argentines and three Dutch. In midfield, then... We're going to go with Frankie over Rodrigo de Paul. We're going to go with Enzo. And we're going to go with Alexis. And then in attack, Messi is an obvious one. Memphis Depay is an obvious one. But don't think there's an obvious answer for the third one. Now, based on the tournament, it's Cody Gakbo. But he's not a better player than Latour Martinez. Now, Latour Martinez has not had a good tournament, but Julian Alvarez has. But not as good as Gakbo. And I don't think Alvarez is a better player than Gakbo. So we'll go with Cody Gakbo. I'm not a huge fan. I think he's a a less talented Marcus Rashford. But he's had a very good tournament thus far. And uh, he's earned a spot in the team. And because Latouros had such a bad tournament, it's he just can't be in. So Martinez, Timber, Romero, Van Dyke, Blind, Frankie, Enzo and Alexis. You're never getting the ball off them. And then Messi, Depay and Gakpo. So we have one, two, three. Ooh. Six, five to the Netherlands. Now, Sport Bible, Guy tells me reliably, tweeted out how many French players would get into the England squad. Um, I think it's more a case of how many English players would get into the French team. Um, we'll start with neither goalkeeper is very good. Like, they're both liabilities, they're the weakest link in their teams. But Hugo Lloris has at least got pedigree, and he's a World Cup winner. And he's a World Cup winning captain. So I'm going to respect that and go Hugo Lloris. Now, at right back, the answer is Jules Koundé. And it's not even close. At left back, the answer is Theo Hernandez. And again, it isn't really close. The two best centre-backs are Varane and Kanate. But Upamecano is starting right now over Kanate. So we'll go with them. Varane is better than John Stones. That's not for debate. And I'm better than Harry Maguire. So Upa Meccano, in you go. Congratulations. In midfield, Chumeni is better than Rice and has been in this tournament. Rabiot's better than Henderson and again has been in this tournament. But Jude Bellingham would get in, in my opinion, over Antoine Griezmann. In attack, Kane is an obvious choice. Mbappe is the obvious choice. And then it comes down to Usman Dembele versus Bikayo Saka or Phil Foden. Now given this would be the role playing on the right, that is Saka's role. Foden has been really good in this World Cup, but Saka has played well too. But Usman has been outrageous. And he is an outrageous talent. He just doesn't always know what to do with his talent. I think I would go with Usman Dembele, to be honest. I love Bikai Saka, and I think Phil Foden is incredible. But I think for, for balance to that team, I think Dembele, especially as a 1v1 player and his ability to create, I think Dembele is the choice. That's 9-2 to England. I'm oh, sorry, <clears throat> 9-2 to France. You get Bellingham, you get Kane. And I feel bad leaving Griezmann out. Because Griezmann's been great in this tournament as well. And you could argue Griezmann over Dembele for certain. But I do think it's 9-2 to France. Um, I should have said, I should have picked managers for these as well. Uh, I'll go Louis van Gaal as the manager of the Dutch-Argentine conglomerate. Um, Not really keen on either manager in the brazil but I'll go with Brazil and uh, Didier Deschamps over Garrett Southgate is pretty much a no-brainer. Neither are great, but Deschamps is at least good. And then that leaves me with Morocco versus Portugal, which I think is, is a really interesting one. So, I'm not keen on either goalkeeper. So, let's start there. I think Bono is is error-prone. I think he struggles with the ball at his feet. Diego Costa is great with the ball of his. For Diogo Costa great with the ball of his feet, but he can let you down sometimes on crosses and on and on set pieces. So I'm not really sure. I think I would lean towards Costa, though everything in my head screams to pick anybody but him. But I'm going to go with Costa. The right back is Ashraf Hakimi. It's not close. I think the centre-backs are fairly straightforward. I think it's Ruben Diaz, and I think it's Agard. I think Agard's really good. I think West Ham have found an absolute belter there. I think when he gets back, if they go back three with Carrere, Zuma and Agard, I think that could be really, really strong. Not sure they have the wing-backs yet to play that formation but I think it could be really good and I wonder if you could go Rice and Piquetta as a two in that system I wonder if you could just get away with it probably not Rice is not nearly as good defensively as people make him out to be but you could go Rice Piquetta, plus a, a holding midfielder who's not or even just a ball winner who's not Thomas Suchek and then you've got Bowen and Skamaka up front. Need wing-backs in that ball winner. West Ham are close to being good. They're going to lose Rice, of course, because he's got a big ego, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Left-back in this team, anyway. Um, Guerrero or Mazraoui I think I'd go Mazraoui because I like the balance with him and Hakimi. I think... You've got to have one full-back who is a little bit more reserved. And I think Masraoui offers that for Hakimi in the way Delo does for Guerrero. So I'm going to go with Masraoui. Uh In midfield, Sophie Amrabat has got to sit in as the holding midfielder. I think you just go Bruno and Bernardo to be honest. It's attack-minded, but those two do work exceptionally hard, and I'm I'm not a big fan of Otavio. Um, And then your front three, Ramos is obviously in, and I think if you're basing it on talent and based on the last performance, Joe Felix gets in. So the last one, I think, comes down to Zayich or Buffal. And I love what bufal offers as a dribbler, but Zayich is a better passer. I think Buffal's a little bit better off the ball. Zayich is more of a goal threat. A lot more of a goal threat. Do you know what's actually strange? And this is just as an aside. Zayac and Buffal are both 29. Neither of them have hit 50 caps yet. Zayac is 47. I know he had a couple of years away from the national team. Bufal only has 36 caps. Seems very low to me. Zayac made his debut in 2015. 22 when he made his international debut because he was. Originally going to play for the Netherlands. Bufol didn't make his debut till he was 23. Didn't play at all for the national team in 2020. Obviously, COVID was a big factor there. But in his first three years, he played eight games. Which is really low. Hmm. Anyway. Um, I'll go with Buffal because he's more fun. So one, two, three, four, five, it's six, five to Portugal, but I think it's close. I think this is the the closest of the group games. I think obviously England can beat France if everything goes right for them, oh and in terms of manager um regu- I'm not going to pick Portugal's manager because he bores the life out of me. So, um, Rajragu, is that his name? Rizhwagi? Rizhragui? I don't know. Someone let me know how you pronounce this fellow's name because he's done really well and I'm really impressed by... um, I'm really impressed by what he's done with this national team. And he's obviously had a pretty good uh, club management career as well. He won the top flight in Morocco with FUS and the Moroccan Throne Cup. He won the Qatari Stars League and then he won the Moroccan title and the African Champions League uh, at his last stop. So uh, that's really, really impressive. So yeah, he's uh, he's the manager. Um looking at these games like i obviously croatia could beat brazil but it it seems unlikely that seems like the one that's the furthest apart even though i think what did i have 7-4 brazil maybe 8-3 i think the areas in which brazil are stronger there's a bigger gap than in the areas where croatia are stronger so i, I fancy brazil quite heavily for that one uh netherlands argentina is is very close. It is. It's very close. So, I think it could go either way. I think France are a much better team than England, but they do have some weird tendencies. Now, the thing is, France want to sit back and and let that you take the game to them. And I wonder what England are going to do. If England play a back three with the five-man midfield and, and go defensive, I think that might be their best shot. But also, it might just leave them open to getting battered. It's hard to know. It just depends on which France turns up. If France turn up and Mbappe fires and Dembele fires and Griezmann's on form and Giroud's on form, then England have very little chance in this game. If that front four turn up and just decide we're winning this game, England don't have much chance because defensively France are very strong. They're really strong in centre midfield. The the rick in the team is that Larice could throw one in. But you look at England, Walker's got mistakes in them. Stones has mistakes in them. Maguire is a mistake. Shaw has mistakes in them. Pickford is a walking mistake. Henderson doesn't turn up in games like this. Just doesn't. Rice is not what England have made him out to be. Bellingham's 19. And they're reliant on him to carry that midfield. The front three, if it's the same front three of Saka, Kane and Foden, that could be spectacular. It really could, but it's not as good as France's four. The midfield is not as good as France's. And let's be fair, the defence isn't close there is a world in which england win the game but i think it's highly unlikely i think portugal morocco and netherlands argentina i think they're the most the most likely to be very very close and they could go either way i think the portugal will obviously be favorites to beat morocco they obviously will but i think and Look, you could, you can definitely make the case that the areas in which Portugal are stronger, there's a much bigger gap than the areas in which Morocco are stronger. You can definitely make that argument. and I'm, I wouldn't disagree with it. But I do think the way Morocco set up, the belief they have, how hard they all play for each other, the question mark is, are they going to have injuries? Because they lost players to injury in their game against Spain. So is, is Agard fit? Don't know yet. Will Amrabat be fit? Don't know yet. Will Bufol be fit? Don't know yet. Seiss got injured as well. He stayed on, but he got injured. So is he going to be recovered? We'll have to wait and see, but I think that's going to be a a really tense, close game. Argentina-Netherlands, I think, is the one, though. It's the really fascinating one of the round because it is really, really close. Between the two. I think Argentina are better going forward. I think the Dutch are better defensively. Midfield, I would give the nod to Argentina. When it's DePaul, Enzo, McAllister. When you change any of them, I think it gets messy. And I'm not really sure. Dimery is going to come back into the team. For Papu Gomez. If it were up to me, I would play him left wing, not right wing. And I would just tell him to beat the fullback or play into that space behind Dumfries and just get crosses in. Because low crosses is what we need. Low crosses or cutbacks to the edge of the box to onrushing midfielders. But that Dutch defence is really mean looking. With Timber, with Van Dijk, with Ake, and then Dumfries and Blind. And that Dutch team is big and it's physical and it's rangy. So other than Blind, he has no range at all. I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to having more of a think about these games now over the next 24 hours. And we'll talk a little bit more about them tomorrow. Uh, we'll take a break right now. When we come back, we have a little bit of news and we have some gossip and we have a little bit of a chat about Liverpool. So we'll see you then. Right, welcome back. So, first things first. On the BBC website, there is a piece written by Richard Winton entitled Scotland, Dogleash, Suness, and Rod Stewart, World Cup 96, remembered. It's brilliant. So, go and give that a read if you get a chance. It's a really, really good look back at Scotland at that World Cup. Um, Eden Hazard has announced his... International retirement. One hundred and twenty-six caps, thirty-three goals. A page turns today. Thank you for your love and unrivaled, unparalleled support. Thank you for all the happiness since two thousand and eight. I have put an end to my international career. The succession is ready. I will miss you. Um, it obviously ended on a very much a damp squib for Eden Hazard. Captain of the team for 56 games. That's a fair effort. But he was awful in this tournament. Belgium were dreadful. The fact that he didn't start their final game spoke volumes, really, about where he is as a player. He's been terrible since joining Real Madrid. He's had a lot of injuries. He doesn't necessarily seem to have the best um, commitment, shall we say, to the game. There's no doubting he's an outstanding, he's been an outstanding player in his career, but he was always hugely inconsistent. And he never became the player that he should have become. Like, he should have been competing for Ballon d'Ors. He never really got close. Super talented. Had a very, very good career. And obviously will continue to play at club level for however long. But never quite hit the heights that you'd hoped he would hit. And he's 31 now. He'll be 32 in January His Real Madrid career, like I say, is a disaster. Uh, Since going there, he's played 72 games and scored seven goals. He's never played more than 23 games in a season for Real. This is year four. He's played six times this season. 23 last season, 21 the year before, 22 the year before that. Yes, he won a Champions League last season. He played as much part in that as I did. He's won two La Ligas. Again, he's played very little part in it. For Chelsea, he was he was the best player they had for a long time. But again, I will maintain that the season he had at Lille in 11-12, I think he only bettered that twice at Chelsea. And he was at Chelsea for seven years. And he had, a, he had a couple of outrageously poor years. One in particular was dreadful. But look, two league titles, an FA Cup, a League Cup, and two Europa Leagues won at Chelsea. So he'll be happy enough with the career he's had. And look, fair play. he He's he's had a very good career. But it, it should have been more. Uh, moving on to a player who had maybe the best career anyone had, Pele. Uh, his can. Condition is improving in hospital, say doctors in Sao Paulo. Uh, He was admitted to the hospital last Tuesday and on Saturday reassured fans that he is strong with a lot of hope. It followed a report in Brazil that Pele was beginning end-of-life care after not responding to chemotherapy. The three-time World Cup winner has received regular treatment since having a tumour removed from his colon in September of 2021. The patient continues to show progressive improvement in his general condition, in particular the respiratory infection, said a statement from the doctors. He remains in a standard room with stable vital signs, conscious and with no complications. His daughter was quoted as saying that it wasn't serious. So when that report about end of life care came out, it was a bit of a shock. Um, It hasn't, I don't believe, been retracted or walked back. So. I'm not really sure, but this statement from the doctor seems quite positive. Uh, hopefully, hopefully he's out of hospital soon and back to telling lies about how many goals he scored during his career, because that's what we love Pelé for. Uh, speaking of someone who we used to love, Samuel Eto'o was involved in an altercation after a recent match at the World Cup. And has issued a statement, which is the most bizarre thing I think I've ever read. So rather than taking real responsibility for his actions, what Etu did instead, which only really Samuel Etu could do, is he put out this statement. My sincere apologies. On last 5 December after the Brazil-South Korea match, I had a violent altercation with a person who was probably an Algerian supporter. I would like to apologise for losing my temper and reacting in a way that does not match my personality. I apologise to the public for this unfortunate incident. I pledge to continue to resist the relentless provocation and daily harassment of some Algerian supporters. Indeed, since the Cameroon-Algeria match on 29th of March in Blida. I have been the target of insults and allegations of cheating without any evidence. During this World Cup, Cameroon fans have been harassed and pestered by Algerians on the same topic, same subject, sorry. I would like to mention that the scenario of Algeria's defeat was cruel, but perfectly in line with the rules and ethics of our sport. All of the appeals made by the Algerian Football Federation to the competent jurisdictions have been rejected. I therefore call on the Algerian authorities and Federation to take responsibility, put an end to this unhealthy climate, because a more se- before a more serious tragedy occurs. To Fenix fans, I wish they find peace and manage to overcome the disappointment of a painful defeat. Now behind us, Samueletto. So. Algeria aren't at the World Cup. But this man thinks an Algerian fan was the one that got it over. It looked like the guy asked him for a picture and he was just in bad form. I don't know. But Samuel Etou doesn't... He doesn't live on the same planet as the rest of us. Uh, Michael O'Neill is set to return as Northern Ireland manager. He has agreed terms with the Irish FA, not to be confused with the FAI. And... um Yeah, he will take charge of the forthcoming Euro 2024 qualifying campaign, succeeding Ian Barraclough, who was sacked on the 21st of October. I genuinely couldn't have told you who the Northern Ireland manager was uh, until he got sacked. He had been previously the under-21 manager. Uh, Before that, he'd managed Scunthorpe. Sligo Rovers for a couple of years and Motherwell. Um, and to be fair, he he did well with Sligo Rovers. Um, that apparently was enough to get him the Northern Ireland job. But uh, it did not go well. Uh, six wins from 28 games. Yeah. Mind how you go, Mr. Barraclough. Uh, Michael O'Neill coming back is the big thing. But obviously it's going to be a tough job because it's Northern Ireland and It's not a country that's had a great amount of success at the old football, do you know? Right, Liverpool. Uh, Where do we even start with this season? Currently sixth. Uh, In the summer, they bring in Darwin Nunes, Calvin Ramsey and Fabio Carvalho. Very clearly leaving themselves short. uh, Short at least two in midfield. Probably one up front as well in terms of a depth piece, but they needed at least one starter in midfield. They went for Chuameni. They thought they had the deal done. Mbappe backed out of a move to Real Madrid and Real pivoted and went and stole Chiumeni. Uh Liverpool didn't seemingly want to buy anybody at that point. Uh, Jurgen Klopp turned down the opportunities to buy Matthias Nunez and Yves Basuma and a couple of other players. They panicked late in the window when Henderson got hurt. Uh, Well, actually, when the season started badly, they decided to go and try and buy Caicedo, but they'd left it too late. And then when Henderson got hurt, they panicked and went and bought or went and loaned in Arthur, uh, who promptly got injured. And Henderson was back very quickly, so it was all a bit pointless. Uh, They lost Sadio Mane, Taki Minamino, Nico Williams, Ben Davies, Ben Woodburn, Shea Ojo, Elijah Dixon-Bonner, Loris Carrius, and uh, Divock Origi. Only really... Sadio was, you know, a notable loss from that group. Season began with a 2-2 draw away to Fulham that should have warned us about what was to come, but didn't. Uh, They followed that up with a 1-1 draw at home to Crystal Palace, in which they were also fairly terrible. Then they went to Old Trafford and put on one of the worst performances you'll ever see, gifted United two goals and lost 2-1. Then they hammered Bournemouth 9-0 and everybody thought everything was fine. Except that it wasn't. They beat Newcastle 2 1. That remains one of their few good results of the season. Uh, It took a very, 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 very late goal to win that one. They drew 0 0 away to Everton. They drew 3 3 at home to Brighton and really should have lost that game as well. That's the third game they've drawn this season that they should have lost. They lost away to Arsenal largely due to incompetent officials, but also because they played absolutely shocking football. They beat Man City at home in their best performance of the season, followed that up by beating West Ham at home. Then they went and lost to Forrest. And then they decided that, you know, having not lost a home league match with Van Dijk in the team for near enough five years, they just mosey on and lose at home to Leeds, uh, a late goal by uh, Crescencio Somerville. Liverpool should have had that game wrapped up. Appalling stuff. They did go and beat Tottenham. They were clinging on at the end, but they did beat Tottenham. And then they beat Southampton last time out. A game that wasn't as comfortable as it should have been. So all things considered, it hasn't been good. Six wins, four draws, four defeats. Four defeats. Last season in all of the competitions. And remember that Liverpool played in all of the competitions all the way to the end. They only lost four games. This season, they've already lost four games. In fact, they've already lost five games because they lost in the Champions League as well. Uh, The Champions League campaign began with a walloping by Napoli, but they did bounce back and win five in a row. They beat Ajax, Rangers, Rangers again, Ajax again, and then Napoli. They're Progressing in the EFL Cup, they beat Derby on penalties, played a team of kids, but beat them on penalties, and they face Manchester City in what will be their first game back after this World Cup. They did, of course, win the Community Shield earlier this year as well, or earlier this season. Um, Defensively, they've not been near good enough. They've conceded 17 goals. That's completely unacceptable. They've only scored 28, which isn't bad to a game, but 21 of them have come at home. Their away record is awful. One win, two draws, three defeats, scored seven, conceded nine. And, you know, like they played away to Fulham mid table, played away to United mid table, played away to Everton bottom four, they played away to Arsenal. I mean, they're top of the league, but they're, they're not great by any shakes. They played away to Forrest, bottom of the league. Played away to Spurs, top four. One good away performance. One good away performance. The draws away to Fulham and Everton are bad results. One good result away from home this season. And obviously the home form hasn't been anywhere near as good as it should be. You can't be drawing it home to Crystal Palace and Brighton, and losing to Leeds. You just can't allow that. That's that's completely unacceptable stuff. Uh, they need to go out in January and they need to address their midfields. They need a starting-caliber midfielder. Jurgen Klopp can try Harvey Elliott as many times as he wants in midfield. He's not going to make him a midfielder anytime soon. Carvalho is not a midfielder. Curtis Jones is... He hasn't shown he's good enough on a consistent basis. Henderson is well past his best. Thiago's injury prone. Fabinho looks to be declining, and then Keita and Oxley Chamberlain have been injured all season, and both of them are off in the summer. So what's the point in playing them? And then Milner is four hundred years old and can't play in midfield anymore. So Liverpool aren't in a great situation at the moment. They have to be. They have to be aggressive in January. Have to be. Liverpool need three midfielders at a minimum now because. Those They needed two anyway. And now we've got this three players leaving. Now, only two of them actually matter in terms of midfield minutes because Milner plays very little in midfield, plays more at fullback these days. And you've got Calvin Ramsey coming along to replace him. So you don't really need to replace Milner, but you do need to replace Ginny Wijnaldum, Nabi Keita and Oxlade-Chamberlain. You also need to replace Henderson if we're being really honest and fair. Liverpool would need four midfielders if the money was there, but it's probably not. And Henderson won't accept anything that's not uh, a regular role. He'll have a big tantrum and go crying to his friends in the media. So you've got to get three midfielders in and hope that you can patch the rest of it together. Hope that Thiago can stay fit, that Fabinho's decline can be halted and that Henderson can at least give you six out of ten when you're asked to play him. I think they need to get Two in January. I do. I think they need to get two in January because I think the summer is going to be all about Jude Bellingham. If they don't get Jude Bellingham, I think they'll get Enzo Fernandez. I think that takes up the entire summer budget. I think they've got to go in January. They've got to try and get, I would say, try and get Caicedo, who I think Brighton will sell. And I think they should try for Eunice Musa as well. I think they should look at a long term midfield three of Bellingham and Musa as the eights with Caicedo as the six. They've got to get at least one in, but I would be looking at two midfielders in January. The other reason to do that is because you may also lose Firmino in the summer. So you might need to look for an attacker. And there's always a chance that Gomez and Simicus turn around and say, well, we want to go play somewhere. We're not not happy sitting on the bench. So you might have to bring in a defender as well. So you don't leave too much for the summer. Uh, especially a summer in which your sporting director is resigning and leaving for reasons. So Liverpool need to be aggressive in this January market. And Julian Ward needs to go out with a bang because he's been largely underwhelming so far in the role of sporting director. Uh He needs to step up to the plate. He he had a bad summer. I know they got Darwin. I know they got Ramsey. I know they got Carvalho. Carvalho was done in the January Ramsey was a player that the analytics team found. What are you doing, Darwin nunes Klopp pushed for him. So what have you done, Julian? Let's let's have you front and center and see what you can offer us. Um, yeah, we'll wrap with the gossip then. Oh, this is good. Liverpool, Chelsea, and Arsenal are interested in Valencia midfielder Yunus Musa. Barcelona are tracking Arsenal and Brazil winger Gabriel Martinelli would have viewed to making a move for him in January. No, they're not. They're just not, because they've no money. Uh, Brucey Dortmund will be willing to sell Jude Bellingham next summer for 86 to 129 million. That's just ridiculous. They'd be willing to sell him for between 1 and fifty-five thousand hundred million bazillion, Bajillion pounds. It is 43 million of a window there. Uh, PSG President Nazir Al-Khalifi says everybody wants to sign Bellingham and the French club will go through Dortmund first if they want to make a move from. Cristiano Ronaldo has yet to make a decision regarding an offer to join Saudi Arabian club Al-Nazir. Who owns Al-Nazir? Who is it that can afford to offer him that type of money. I didn't know Rudy Garcia Rudy Garcia was managing. Uh, I don't know who this he's an advisor to his excellency. Oh, okay. Okay. It looks like they might um be Slightly royal, owned, royal owned, or something. If anybody knows who owns Al nazir can you can you let me know? Because um, I would be, I'd be curious to know. Abubakar is there. Pity Martinez is there. Luis Gustavo is there. David Espina is there. Talisca is there? That's not a bad squad, actually. Not a bad squad at all. Uh, anyway, let's get back to this. Tottenham have emerged as favourites to sign Frank Kessie. He is the most unneeded player Tottenham could possibly sign. David Moyes faces the sack as West Ham manager amid an increasingly tense relationship with David Sullivan. Now... It is Wayne VC, so it is likely garbage. But I, I, I could see a world in which Moyes doesn't see out the season at West Ham. James Madison and Yuri Tielemans have been linked with moves away from Leicester, but the Foxes would be resistant to letting either player leave in January. Okay. Real Madrid are set to beat Chelsea to the signing of 16-year-old Palmeiras forward, Endrick, who can only move when he turns 18 in 2024. No surprise to anybody that he's going to end up at Real Madrid. And there's another incredibly gifted young attacker at Palmeiras. I think it's Estavo. He's 15. He's the next one to come along. And Real apparently already interested in him, so keep an eye out. Uh, Italy midfielder Marco Verratti will sign a new deal with PSG. I, I hate that he spent his whole career there. But at this point, he might as well stay. Aston Villa will be offered Yannick Vestergaard during the transfer. Why would they want him? Newcastle have been inundated with loan offers for... 18-year-old Australia forward Karang Cole after his performance at the World Cup. He wasn't really all that impressive at the World Cup. He's got pace, obviously, but he looks like football might be quite new to him. Um, No doubt a talented player, but based on the World Cup, I wouldn't imagine anybody has raised their level of interest. Arsenal have not ruled out recalling and Balogun from his loan spell at French club Stade Reims as they assess the injury to Gabriel Jesus. It doesn't sound good, the Gabriel Jesus injury. It really doesn't. It kind of, sort of, a little bit feels like we might not see him again this season. And if we do, it might be like late April, May type, uh, which is unfortunate for Arsenal. But look, stop saying it's ruined your title challenge. You weren't winning the league anyway. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.